Hello and welcome to another Thursday edition of the American Scouser podcast. I am Galley, who is filling in here uh, tonight for Timuchin, as he is not here. Timuchin is actually with his youngest daughter, Layla, at her art show, which I've already been getting pictures that she is winning awards and ribbons. So not only am I finding out more things about Layla, she's an amazing soccer player, a great student, a good friend, also an amazing artist, and she's a quality engineer, Chris, when it comes to sound checks, because I found out last week she was all over me for my terrible microphone sound in their house. <laughs> so we're going to be working on fixing that as time comes with some new yes. purchases. And uh, I appreciate our friend from Illinois correcting me on my microphone. So I guess at some point we might need to have a, uh, she'll have to make a guest appearance maybe to show off some of that artistic work, but let's get to it here. Uh, Chris, how are we doing in Nashville or in Knoxville today? <laughs> I'm good, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an okay day. It has been an okay day. And <laughs> what better way than to check in on our day with our buddy, Irish Jamie down in North Carolina. Irish Jamie, how are you? Not too bad, Reds, right? I mean, just a slow day. Slow day is right. So uh, as we get, as we always like to start our Thursday um, programs, we start that with Jamie and his 60 second news. So Jamie, when you're ready, take it away. That is right, you American Scousers. It is the 60-second news time. So, like I said, really slow news week. Uh, let's see if we can drag this one out. There's a new date for the St. Mary's visit. Uh, moved from the Sunday to, it's now the Tuesday, the 17th, 7.45 local kickoff time, uh, evening game. So that'll be fun. Um, also, news in the aftermath of the quarterfinals of the Champions League, Liverpool and Benfica have received fines um, in the uh, in the wake of some of the delayed kickoff and and of course Benfica throwing stuff at projectiles at, at Liverpool players when we absolutely wiped the floor with them. Um, but absolutely more news: the LFC Women Trophy lift happened last Sunday, and that included a little handle shuffle. If you haven't seen it, go out there and do yourselves a wee favor. Um, great news also this week that uh, Sean and Martina Cox returned to Anfield. After over two years uh, since that fateful night where, where Sean was um, was horribly injured. Um, and and that's that's about it, right, Reds? Uh, not only messing, today the biggest and best news of all time. Um, this news will hardly be beaten in any of the transfer news coming up in the summer. It is the news of Ulla and Klopp and Co. 2026. It is right, folks. The massive news that we have clapped for another two more, well, four more years. So uh, that's it, folks. That's your American Scouser News in 60 seconds. Not bad, right? Special effects. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gally, we can't hear you, dude. Gally, there you go. You're getting sacked in the morning. Sacked in the morning. Fired. You're getting sacked, You're getting in, the sacked in the morning. <laughs> we were making sure to let you... We were making sure to let you finish, actually. And what we're not going to do tonight is talk over each other or sound effects. So that was actually the reasoning behind that. So we're going to see how this one goes. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, or maybe someone just listening on the podcast, we'll apologize for the extra Irish that will come through here, as you have two true Irishmen and one man who is just 75% Irish, but somehow came out looking all Italian. Um, but so let's take this one to uh, the top here. And let's start with um, exactly what Jamie uh, closed out his news with. And for me, it's the news of the day. It's the news of the month. And it could really turn out to be the news of the year. And that is uh, Jurgen Klopp re-signing with the Reds, keeping on through 2026, uh, extending his current deal by two additional years. Uh, it was really important. I think uh, Jamie alluded to it earlier here. Uh, his wife played an enormous role in helping him, us secure him in the first place. And I think she played just as big of a role in him uh, deciding to come back and stay um, 
with our Reds. So, Tammy, let's start with you. Um, what were your initial thoughts, obviously, when you first heard the news this morning? And what do you think it says to the state of our club and, more importantly, um, Jurgen's actual connection to the side that he's deciding to stay after previously saying he wouldn't extend his deal a third time with Liverpool? So initial response, I'm going to use a big word here, incredulous. I was absolutely in disbelief. Um, happy wife, happy life, right? Everybody always says that old cliche, but, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, everybody asks me, what what brought you over to, to Wilmington, North Carolina? You know, I, behind every good man, there's, there's an even better woman. Um, but uh, Klopp's connection to, to the city, to the fans, to the squad, to the you know, the bus driver, the dinner ladies, the tea ladies, it doesn't matter. He, he, he's loved by one and all and hated and uh, despised and, uh, and envied by every other uh, Premier League team, European team. I mean, the embarrassment of riches we've got uh, pales in comparison to the main man himself. And it's a great point. Um, you know, Chris, from your standpoint, where where do you see that club going? You know, where do you see this as far as Jurgen's decisions? What would you say, in your opinion, was some of the primary factors that are leading him uh, to make this decision at this point? Um, excitement. I think I think Luis Diaz has has been kind of maybe a final nail in the coffin, so to speak, to him signing a new contract. I think, you know, the excitement of possibly creating history by being the first team ever in England to do the quad. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're the closest any team's ever been to it. Um, and you know what? It, it said everything in the video. Um, in, in the many videos that have been released, but especially in the ones where he talked about his wife. And like Jamie, I moved to the States because of a girl. You know, I married an American girl. So um, <clears throat> I can understand that thing. And, and it was kind of, it was almost a cheeky little, hey lads, the wife said it's okay. <laughs> and, and it was like, <sighs> like when I, when I woke up to the news, it was, well, everybody was kind of, flapping about the whole Mino Riola thing and blah, blah, blah. What was happening with that? And all of a sudden the Haaland questions started coming about and then bang from nowhere, like absolutely nowhere. Everybody had assumed that he was going to be gone. You know, this was, he's going to see this out, probably go to and, and do the German job or take another little break and then take the German job or whatever it was going to be. So for him to come in and say, hey, I'm staying an extra two years with an option to stay a bit longer. Um... I think he he's 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 realised, and I think as along with his wife, they've made the decision that Liverpool is the place for them. And I don't think I could be happier. And if there's any Liverpool fan that's not happy with us, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how can you not? And and it, and I've spoken to a few opposing fans today, and they're equally heartbroken. Um, so. That just speaks volumes for everything. You know, everybody talks about, oh, we need Mo to sign the contract. This is the biggest news yet. This is the biggest news of all. You know what I mean? This is bigger than Mo signing a contract. Do you know what I mean? That's one player. This is the man. This is the captain of the ship. Do you know what I mean? And, um, oh, man, I, I just couldn't be happier. I, I, it's hard to talk about it because because it came out of nowhere and we weren't prepared for it. It's just like, well, it's like him signing, first signing all over again. And I'm just... Yeah, yeah. I that was where I was, Chris. I, I, I've said for, you know, quite some time now, you know, we're not going to get into the FSG out people. That would just be... Today's not the day for that argument, right? Um, really, that argument's kind of been put to put to bed later. Yeah, I did that on Facebook. Moved on. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we could we could have we could have a funeral for the FSG out people, almost <laughs> as incorrect as the funeral for Mino was this morning at eight. An another one, um, <laughs> another yeah, one? and like the Undertaker, he, he will rise as well. Uh, 
But it, it, we don't need to waste any time talking about Mino because we're lucky we don't have to deal with Mino because exactly. he doesn't deal with us. But the truth of, of, of the matter here is, is that Klopp is the best signing of the FSG era. Um, and it was really that moment, in my opinion, that they realized that they were going to make moves to improve. You know, to think that Ian Eyre was still in charge when Jurgen Klopp came on board is kind of comical in itself. Uh, <laughs> the fact that Jurgen Klopp was willing to take the job, knowing that he would be his superior, is comical in itself. But he got enough control to know that there would be time and that there was a plan. And the fact that he re-upped the last time made me think, wow, he really wants to see this through. And I feel like it's the injection of the youth as much as anything. It's it's the Kai Gordons. It's seeing the young Doke kid come over from Celtic. It's knowing that Carvalho is coming in next, that Harvey Elliott is going to take the step. And I think Jurgen wants to see that to fruition. And I, I joked with someone earlier, we were all worried, Could he? what would happen when Jurgen left if this roster wasn't turned over? Yet in 18 months, they've rebuilt the roster and we're almost seeing that there's a second wave of that roster being rebuilt behind it. And I think he's going to leave us, if he does in 2026, in such a strong position. But let's not go there because there's no reason to talk about the day he leaves on the day where he re-ups. Because even though I saw some folks today saying, like, is anyone else worried? It's only 2026. That is four more seasons. And let me tell you right now, I'm not sure that my liver or my heart has – twice a week, 70 times a season from August till now, but I'll take it and we can try. But four more years of competing on all fronts with the best human being in the game, forget the best man manager, forget the best leader. What you saw with him hugging Divock after the Everton match, that's the best man. And it might be in all of sport, let alone in just football. And um, how lucky are we that we have him and his beautiful wife because you know, like all three of us, we are made better by the other half and we probably wouldn't be as good as human beings if we didn't have them. God knows I wouldn't be. I can barely take care of myself with her here. So let alone when she's not in town and don't tell anyone she leaves on Saturday morning. So that probably means I'm in trouble for the weekend. It's going to be ramen noodles and hot dogs, but uh, I digress. So we do have a match uh, to talk about here. So we're going to start where we always start with the first match of the week. It was just yesterday, so hopefully it's still fresh in all of our minds. And we're going to start with the Villarreal uh, lineup. So, you know, I love the Champions League ties because the lineups actually come out a good hour and 15 to an hour and a half before the match, which just means that we have extra time to banter in the Discord channel. If you have not joined the Discord channel, send us a message on Facebook. We'll send you an invite. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And it is a great place to watch a match, especially if you're like me and sometimes you're sitting in your car or you're cheating at work, watching it on your second monitor. Uh, the Discord gives you a, a group to talk to like you're in the pub. So let's pretend we're sitting there and the lineup comes out. Chris Strain, initial thoughts on the back five and uh, the decision to play Kanate over Matip in this match. Uh, I think it was probably common. Um, you know, it's it's Matip like sort of Thiago. <clears throat> um, they're, they're players that need to be sort of carefully managed in their minutes and stuff. And um, uh, I, I think it was only natural that Kanati was going to come in. Um, he, he scored, you know, two goals over two legs against Benfica. He's a super threat from in the air. And, and you know, he's a big unit. And, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of as I expected. You know, I, I kind of thought Matip is probably going to be you know, our Premier League guy on Kanate, depending on fitness or whatever, is going to be sort of his backup um, or direct replacement uh, when he needs those that, that little bit of rest, you know. so And he's played well in Europe, so and he has history in Europe, so uh, I think he was comfortable in there, and he, he's looked great. You know, he didn't, he didn't really have much to do. We'll get into that in the game. But, yeah, when I saw the lineup, it was kind of like, I think this is kind of our strongest lineup if you swap out Canade for Matip, but it's not much of a drop-off. 
Yeah, I, I, I'll say I, I was uh, not shocked. I think on Monday night, I almost nailed this entire lineup. The only thing I got wrong was I, I really thought this would be a spot to rest Tiago just because he's been playing so many minutes. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll see that on Saturday morning against Newcastle. I don't think there's any chance Tiago starts that match. Um, but the, you know, Kanate has gotten a lot of the run in Champions League, and I think it's part of the fact that Jurgen gave him that competition. It kind of makes sense. He did that with Navi Keita his first year as well when he came over from yeah. Germany. Um, you're a little more used to the European. It's a little bit slower. There's a little less physicality, as we know. Um, and Kanate's fared very well, obviously, in the competition. I won't be surprised if he starts the second semifinal. I, I would be surprised if he were to start in the final. Uh, but I do believe he'll start the second leg of the semifinal. And the rest of it, I do believe this is our best 11 with Matip starting at center back. I think Jurgen has made that clear in big matches. This is what we're going to see going forward. Jamie, any problem with either starting Thiago in this match based on all the minutes he's played or the front three? I mean, I get uh, the cautiousness around Thiago and, and, and not trying to put too many minutes on those legs, those sexy, sexy legs. Um, but uh, honestly, um, I think he's gaining momentum now. And I think top quality professionals at the age he's at in his career, at the, the, the level he's at playing right now, I think I know the wise thing to do would be to rest him against Newcastle. I just don't see it. I don't um I don't see him being happy with it and he may not be happy with it Klopp, Klopp gets the say the final say but um no when it goes to the front three as well um you know we've been waxing lyrical on Mane in the middle uh, and Diaz on the left and Salah's going to do Salah things on the right so no I was I was I was ecstatic with that lineup and um and you take a look at the bench and there's there's you know five subs and you know you've even got the got the hero from last year williams on there which we had a little joke about in the discord and, and like i said all you all you fellas in the in the comment section and, and anybody else listening do yourselves a favor jump into the discord chat with us uh we're not all bad we don't bite um only if is, you ask us it is a good bit of crack isn't it lads it's it's um it's quality quality banter and like galley says it's uh it's just like you're in the pub with 50 mad people all talking at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, it, and, you know, and, and for those that get overwhelmed or nervous, you can mute channels, you can pause during work when you're not there. You can only come and join us during match days. You know, it's a, there are some folks that are there chiming and talking all day long and there are other folks that aren't. So it looks like, um, and Alan Walnut, um, uh, one of our most true listeners and comments, uh, commentators here says we are blessed to have Tiago uh, playing on the pitch for us and he could not be uh, more correct and what I'm loving here is and here we have Sparky Parky saying please send me the link so as soon as this call ends Sparky we will make sure and get that sent to you over through the messenger and uh, we look forward to having you in there with us for our next match careful what you wish for Sparky <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Sparky and I had our little dust up on Monday night and we, we cleared the air quickly during Messenger. So that just proves if you can handle getting kind of talked down to through a podcast and still finding a way to be on the same page by morning, you can handle anything that comes through on our Discord channel. And in all <laughs> seriousness, Sparky, I appreciate you calling me out. I loved it. And uh, we appreciate all the comments you do and coming here each and every single week. So let's move. We're going to get Alan into that group as well. So let's talk okay. a little bit more about their tactics, okay? They clearly showed up with some of that Unai Emery magic, which is otherwise known as a double-decker bus. But I will say, for me personally, I understood why they played the way that they did. Because I feel like in this instance, it's unlike what Lampard did on Sunday. On Sunday, I feel a inept manager without a plan showed up and just tried to do something that his old boss used to do with more talented sides and park a bus with an Everton team that had no chance. 
And I feel like in this match, Unai Emery looked at the talent he had, looked at the competitors he was against, and actually set his team up to try to compete in the only way they possibly could. And that, to me, is a big difference in this. Chris, what were your, you know, was that anti-football or was that a club with less than 50,000 people in their town, in their city, showing up and trying to compete in the semifinals against the best club in Europe? Um, I think it's classic Unai Emery. Um, the, the dude is an absolute genius when it comes to knockout competitions. We know that. You know, to win the Europa League three years in a row, that's ridiculous. Like, the fact that it's the Europa League is weird because it's the qualifying for that's kind of strange. So, you know, being in that lower sort of tier of Spanish teams, qualifying for that competition and winning it three years in a row with Seville, um, I think Paris was too big for him. Arsenal was too big for him. He, he he thrives in those smaller clubs, kind of like a Spanish Sean Deitch. Uh, not to not to sour him with that name, but it, his his trajectory as a as a football manager, uh, you know. But um, he he yes, he sets his teams up uh, in that way to low block hitting the counter. Um, not as anti football as as Mourinho, but uh, he has a bit more flair about him, and he, he he likes to play that that fast attack. It's kind of it's almost reminiscent of our high block, but they play it low. You know, so um, and when they get forward, they're forward with three, four, five players. It's not, it's not like you know that that anti-football thing where you've got one guy trying to run through your defense. You know, when they get forward, they fly. You know, and um, I think not having Jared Moreno was was huge. Was a huge loss for them. Um, I think Albert, Alberto Moreno was a bit of a loss for them as well. Um, you know, that's that's a kid that's that's used to playing at Anfield which would be yep. huge for a team like that. You know, he wouldn't be overwhelmed by the occasion because he's been there before. Um, he, he's played in, in this stadium before in big, big matches. So, you know, it, I, I thought that it would have been nice to see Albie on the on the pitch, you know. But, um, yeah, they, they did what I thought they were going to do and, and we basically bossed them around the way I thought we were going to boss them around. Um, and, and I don't see it being any different in the second round. Um, I think it's a case of, you know, they're going to have to attack a bit more. And we're just going to pick them apart. Yeah. Jamie, um, similar question, you know, regarding the tactics, your thoughts around it. And with regards to it, how we fared against it. Because for that first 45 minutes, you know, I I think Sparky Parky makes a great point here. Um, He was glad that Everton gave us a practice match. Because in a lot of ways, that was almost like, Everton was almost like the anti-anti of what Villarreal did. Villarreal showed up to play 9 to 10 behind the ball, defend resolutely, but when we turn it over, try to hit them on the counter and get in behind with Don Ruma and, and some of the speed that they had. Where Everton was just the opposite. It was kick the ball up to Anthony Gordon, run as fast as he can, and if not, Richarlison will fall down and pull the same. Um, but, Jamie, what, did you, what was your take of their setup and how do you think it impacted the first 45 minutes, which was pretty stop and go for our Reds in that first half? Yeah, absolutely. First half was difficult. It's always going to be Champions League semifinal. I know a lot of people have said, you know, have seen idiots like Jason Condy on TalkSport who have absolutely no time for uh, talking about how they shouldn't have been there, blah, blah, blah. Big difference between them and Everton were that they were playing with 11 players. Uh, Everton were playing with 10 because of, as you brought up, Gally Richardson. Um, that, now, that lad is an absolute disgrace. Most Everton fans will tell you it's an absolute disgrace. Um, I th- what was it? I think the ball was in play for 28 minutes or something for the first half in, in, the, in the Everton game. Um, Villarreal had uh, not necessarily a goal. They had, they, had, uh, they had a plan. They had some sort of um, semblance of, of an attack or at least a counterattack. And, and certainly as we'll move on into the, into the second half, excuse me, um, you know, they, they definitely had a bit more to offer in the second half. But yeah, first half was um, for them, backs to the wall. They absorbed a lot. We had a lot of good chances. Um, we were, we were, you know that 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 trident up front were 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 on it, and and two wingbacks were getting forward. I mean, it was great, and and they to be fair to them, they they um 
they absorbed it. They done well, and and complete, uh, complete night and day between between Everton. I mean, it, they're a disgrace for club. Yeah, I mean the the you know the the purpose of of comparing them was just purely the idea that both sat back, came to Anfield, planned to play for a nil nil draw if they could, and if they got something out of it better than that, it was gravy. But one did it with a tactical nous to actually play the game. And the other literally, you know, I think just comes back to the fact Lampard doesn't have tactics. And really, you know, I heard a great thing. I think it was on one of the serious radio shows where the guy just said, you know, I still don't know what a Frank Lampard team is because whether I saw it at Derby, I saw it at Chelsea, or now I'm seeing it at Everton. It's never the same thing two weeks in a row, two matches in a row. There's just no player looks like they understand their job. And that's the absolute opposite. Every player on that Villarreal side looked to be drilled to understand exactly what their responsibility was. And the one time that they made two passes on the counter, if if Robo isn't tracking back, Don Ruma is in. And, and you could see their play. It was kick it up, the uh, Celso playing in that deep false nine, almost like Bobby. He'll break the press by coming back, and then we'll slip in one of the wingers running beyond the fullback. And luckily, you know, we have world-class fullbacks that are always on their game, even when we're, you know, on offense for 40 of the 45 minutes. So we fast forward to the second half. We come out a little bit better, I felt like, at the beginning. Uh, it's always always a little different when we're not attacking the cop in the second half. Always makes me take a double take. And But again, another Unai Emery smart thing, you know, just turn them around. He had them drilled to know how important it was to get every advantage they can have. So Henderson's goal, Chris, uh, is that luck? Is it skill? What exactly was your take on it? So here's the thing. I, I'm a great believer in, in sort of the positivity thing. And, you know, if you've listened to this podcast and you hear me predict scores for the weekend, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. You make your own luck. And, you know, we were knocking on the door the whole night. They didn't look like scoring at all. Allison had nothing to do, you know, practically the whole game. It was basically whether they were going to be able to stop us from scoring or not. And when you put that kind of pressure on, you put people in situations where they make mistakes or they do things. And, you know, you can call it luck or whatever, but it was the pressure that caused that. The pressure of Hendo getting down the right, he's thinking, oh, but the keeper's just, this ball's coming into the box, I have to come out for it. So, you know, you're causing those things. When you throw a cross, how many times will you see a player throw a cross from the wing and it'll get a deflection off the defender putting his foot out? It happens probably 50% 50 of the time, you know? Um, so I, I, you can call it luck, you can call it whatever. I call it good pressure and a well-deserved goal. What I will say is we had four lads in the box for that cross. Yeah. So if it if it doesn't get deflected, there's two or three back stick that are waiting, yep. waiting for that. So yep. but but again, I mean, yes, a bit of luck in the fact that I mean the keeper lads, I've caught COVID more times than he caught the ball last night. <laughs> yeah. I was I was actually, Jamie, gonna jump in after you were done and I was gonna make it a stone hands joke or I was actually gonna make a reference like before we go to the second goal. Can we just acknowledge, have you ever seen a, a keeper who had less command of his six-yard box? Like, he was so uncomfortable with every ball in the air. I mean, in the first half, when he punched that ball that was literally under Van Dyke's waist, and he jumped and punched it, and I thought to myself, like, what is he doing? I mean, that ball is in his hands. Just put your hands out. And he just clearly was – uh, uncomfortable and nervous the whole night. Uh, he looked very, very, very nervous. Had no, you know, it was kind of like what Mignolet used to look like when he would flap at things up in the air. It was just complete nerves and uncomfortableness. I have one um, thing to say about that. And I think that also boils down to the Unai Emery thing, little trick of yep. making us play to the cop first. He was in front of the cop for the first half. That's an intimidating place to be if you've never been there. You know what I mean? As, a, as an opposing goalkeeper. Uh, and usually, usually they get the 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 break of having, you know, their own fans in the Annie Road end. You know what I mean? To to, you know, so that 
But if you're standing in front of the the cop from, you know, the you'll never walk alone to the 45 minutes, like that's, that's a tough, like 55 minutes to be standing there, you know, as an opposing goalkeeper. So yeah, I mean, he's a decent keeper, but I I have to agree. I mean, the whole punching thing was just, that was kind of ridiculous. That is a fair point though, Chris. And they did mention during the broadcast that um, he didn't acknowledge the, the supporters from the cop that were yeah. like kind of cheering him on at the beginning. He never turned around and like did the acknowledgement that they always give the opposing goalie. So it basically almost goaded them to yeah. get on him even more. And then he started the shithousery of the pulling everyone back to play it short and then sending oh. everybody long to kill time. But again, right. I'll give them credit. If you're going to waste time, make it look it. like you're bringing people back. Don't, set the ball, walk up and dribble it twice and then wink at the cameraman. The yeah. part of it was, was the, there's the dark arts, there's the shithousery we all overlook, and then there's plain just throwing it in the faces of the supporters, the, the officials, the match day folks, and that was basically what they were doing in different. So um, the second goal, before yes. we even touch on Mane's finish, which is a much better finish than he was given credit for. He got slated for missing the header in the first half, which when you're, you know, informed like he is, you expect that ball to be find the back of the net. But can we talk about Mo's ball? I mean, let's, Jamie, talk to me about Mo's touch, his vision, slipping it through, and the weight on that pass. I mean, I'm not trying to take it for granted. And I'm not belittling it in any way, but if you watch Paramount Plus with Thierry Henry going on about, oh, the class, he put it through the legs. He meant to do it. He meant to do it. Of course he meant to do it. He's one of the best footballers on the planet. It's an it's a simple nutmeg, Thierry. Calm your, calm your back, you know. Um, <laughs> it, yes, it was a great pass. It was... But what got me was the little turn, the the little one through the little give and go. It was um, it it was all too simple for him, and I think that's kind of what happens when when you are levels above this. Like like you were saying about with with Pickford and uh, and what's the keeper's name? There's levels to this shit, right? Um, you know, I think Mo is just one of those players that sees things a little quicker than than the average player. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about the Sadio finish I, the, the pace to get there. And it's like, it's like he didn't stab at home. He flicked it. Like he, it, that, that elasticity of his foot, he just kind of flicked it with the outside of his butt uh, and got there before the keeper did. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great ball, great work, but I, I'm, I'm, Listen, I'm not the biggest Thierry Henry fan. Um, I, I'll go on record <laughs> as saying that anyway. But, I wonder um, why. Right. Yeah, I was going to uh, say. But um, for me, I don't think it's... I, I, yes, it's a fantastic play. It's a fantastic, intricate little uh, moment. But it's not like a Puskas winning goal. Like, it was a great play. But, yeah, I mean, it's a simple nutmeg. I don't think it was the nutmeg as much as it was the weight on the ball. Because right. the weight on the pass is what, to me, was what made it special. Um, Mo had a couple moments where he had his beautiful touches and his tight, intricate play. Uh, for me, he wasn't as electric as he was on the weekend against Everton, where I thought he was right back to his, his just his absolute finest. I do think he was great against Villarreal. Um, I thought Mane was maybe a touch better, and I think Thiago was, once again, the class on the pitch. I, For me... As many goals as Mo scoring and assists that he's getting, and Mane is now, you know, um, excelling through the middle. The deeper this goes, the more I feel like at the end of the day, we're going to remember this season, not only for the multiple trophies and for the competing on all fronts, but for really Thiago betting in and becoming one of the key, key cogs and components to the success of this side. And I think you could argue since January 1st, He's probably the, you know, Liverpool's 2022 player of the year. Uh, Mo's going to win PFA player of the year. Mo's going to win 
player of the season for Liverpool, and rightfully so. Uh, you don't get that goal contribution. But I just think what Thiago is doing to make all the players around him better, and I think it's what's allowing our midfield to go from the engine room, right? We used to say the midfielders at Liverpool do all the work so the front three can score the goals and the defenders can get the assists. They're the industry. And I feel like we have every bit the playmaker that City has or, you know, um, Barcelona's had in the past or any of the top sides with attacking flair while still showing he has the metal and the guile to actually do the job it takes in our midfield. And uh, it's just such a joy to watch. And before we move on to the lineups and kind of what we think we'll see in the second legs, uh, Chris, any, you know, musings or thoughts on Tiago before we move off that man and, as Jamie would say, his beautiful, beautiful legs? Um, I actually want to just go back to Sadio for a second and because I, I never got sure. to chip in on the goal thing. Um, here's the thing. Everybody's talking about Mo and the goals he scores and everything else. What a lot of people are missing is look back at our goals this season. Look back at Sadio's goals and look back at Mo's goals and look back and who's assisting who. And nine times out of ten, it's Sadio for Mo or Mo for Sadio. Now, everybody talks about these guys as if they're in competition or they have beef or whatever it is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a request. If you haven't watched Made in Senegal on Paramount Plus, watch it. And it'll give you an insight into the mentality, the life, and the desire and drive of Sadio Mane and why he plays football and why he does what he does. And when you see him and Mo on the pitch, and Mo's in that in that um, documentary talking about Sadio, uh, and so is Van Dijk, and so are some of the other players, uh, and how they speak about this guy, and, and how he goes about himself, and how you see him in his everyday life uh, in this documentary, um, really painted a picture for me. I actually watched it again today, uh, <laughs> and then watched the match from last night again after it. Um, but it's the combination between him and Mo, that partnership. Those two have an understanding. They know where each other are in the pitch, and it doesn't matter what position they're playing in. They just know where they are. You've Some of the passes that Mo has played to Sadio and Sadio has played to Mo this season, the one from Sadio to Mo against United last week, uh, the one from Mo for Sadio in the, the City game. Um, yeah. Like, you know, just these two guys. And when you bring in a guy like Thiago, who allows these guys to just go anywhere on the pitch and know that if they make that run, there's a guy in midfield that can find them. There's going to be somebody else there with the ball that can find them. They know each other can find each other. You know, they know they can find each other. And they know, you know, Mo knows that if Virgil's going to whack a, a diagonal, it's coming down on his chest and he's going to go past the defender. But coming from midfield and some of the passes that Thiago plays are fucking ridiculous. Sorry for the language, but it's ridiculous. Jamie, you were talking about the goal that Sadio scored where he does that little flick with his foot. The amount of passes that Thiago plays like that. Yeah. And it looks like he's yeah. going left to Robbo, first... and he hits that wee flick and it goes through to Bobby, Jota, Mane, whoever's in the middle, and you're like, how the hell did he get that through three players? The first goal, he flicks with the outside of his boot yeah. 20, 20, 30 yards across the, the other side of the pitch. It's ridiculous. Yep. It's ridiculous. So, um, Chris, the... you're the only one standing up. I, I'll, I'll stand up with you. Let's give away Thiago Samba. <laughs> Thiago! <laughs> Oh, Thiago, Jamie Carragher and Mika Richards bursting into song about Tiago Alcantara was something else. I really hate it. I hate this. I hate CBS. I, I'm sorry. I'm not enjoying it. I, I, I like the banter and stuff, but see when they start singing and all that. Oh. It's an uber. It's uber cheese, isn't it? Oh, it's it's trying to. It's trying. They're trying too hard for the American audience. That's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually would disagree. I think they're not trying for the American audience. I think what you see on ESPN and their terrible coverage is Americanized. I think even what the Premier League does on NBC Sports or did on NBC Sports in USA at times with their fan fest and their different things would kind of Americanize the sport. I think they're trying to actually make it like it's, you know, the you BT just said it there. Videos. 
You just or said Skyport. Like, I know. You just said I know. Like, they're trying. They're trying. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> they're trying. I think in some ways though to bring yeah. the English side of it in. Yeah. But I think that's almost the mistake is, is if you just let Carragher and Micah Richards be themselves. When it's really good, actually, and I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud, but when it's actually pretty entertaining is when like Carragher and like will argue with Schmeichel on site at one of the stadiums because they at least show that real banter back and forth. Um, And I will say, you know, I'm a big fan of Kate Abdow. Um, I think she's actually very, very (laughs) quality. Well, everyone is who has eyes. Um, But I also think the fact that she actually loves the the sport, knows the game and speaks seven languages fluently yeah. Um, makes her qualified to do the job. Well, when she's um, hosting the Ballon d'Or and she's speaking to everybody in their native language, and you're just sitting there it's going, "Amazing!" Oh. <laughs> yeah, she, basically, she's she's basically making people in six different languages, yeah. you know, lie to their wives about why they're watching this. Um, so we we are moving on from the CBS uh, post game show, <laughs> and I guess we'll take it here to next week. Yes. Second leg. Travel to the travel to Spain, um, play on Tuesday night. What are you two? We don't have much time on this. Uh, what are you two? We'll start with you, Jamie. Um, you expect some rotation, um, and give me an outcome, final score. Any concerns? Slight rotation, I, I, even though that we're two 0 up. It, 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 you know, halfway in the leg. Um, you know, I think we we go again and and at least get another two on the on the scorecard. Um, there's no hope for them uh, even at home. Yeah. If they score two, so what? That that's we're we're definitely gonna get one. There's no way they win two nil and bring us to extra time and take us the distance and we don't get a goal. Um, even if we rotate heavier than what I think Klopp will do because I think Klopp will maybe introduce a couple of fresh legs. Um, but uh, yeah, like Sparky Parky saying, with, with, with the European games and, and five subs, um, it'll be the same team until halftime and then 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 you can rotate uh, given whatever circumstances unfold in the first half. But I, I think um, I think a 4-0 aggregate win. So 2-0 again. More, more of the same. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I'm thinking probably more of the same. I think it, it was probably already worked out that, you know, the teams for these two games and Newcastle in between and what rotation was going to be done in, uh, in between then. So uh, I think it's probably, as Sparky Parky said, same team until halftime. Um, and if if we haven't scored or, I mean, not that we need to score, but I, I really, like I said earlier on, um, they have to come at us. And the problem with that is, any team that likes to come at us is going to get picked apart at the back, you know, because we like to press high and steal the ball. Um, and a lot of teams just can't handle it. Um, and it was proven again, sort of, you know, last night with Villarreal again. Um, there was a few times they tried to come out and they just couldn't. Uh, Fabinho and Thiago um, as a combination is 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 damn near perfect. Um, yeah. Fabinho is just a wall. When he's on... There's not a better central defensive midfielder in the world, I don't think. Uh, some of the tackles that man makes Unreal. are... Yeah, and, and where he does it from, he can be like three, four yards behind someone, and the next thing he's just... His foot comes from nowhere. That Lacelso <laughs> yeah. one where he takes on four players last night, and it, it's almost like on the camera angle, he it looks like he, he, he fouls from behind, but he wins yeah. the ball, and the referee's yeah. right there, and it's play on, and it's like... Yeah. Flacco, you know, Dyson, whatever you want to call me, he's fantastic. Like, and that's the thing, Thiago's always right there beside him to pick up the ball. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, it's oh, man, it's going to be more of the same. I, I really don't see Villarreal having anything. I mean, even with with Jared Moreno back in the in the side, I mean, it gives him a little bit more speed up top, but they have to be able to get to the ball to him first. You know. Yeah. So and I just. I'm with Jamie. I just, you know, I don't see them keeping us out. If we score yeah. one, they have to score three, and that's just to push extra time. And I don't even see that. I, I think it's hard for me to see them not conceding at least two goals, especially with the fact that they're going to have to come out from the beginning. 
and they're not going to be able to sit back for 60, 70 minutes yeah. like they did in the past. So um, to Alan Walnut's point here, if yellow cards are issued in the second leg, do they affect the final lineup? And I, no. I meant to look this up. Um, I know. I got well, you. Yellow cards reset as of yeah. the semifinal. But the do only, two yellows? The only way they miss the final is with a straight red card. Yep. So, so yep. Virgil's safe. Because yep. I remember there were people talking about that in the in the on the web, and I didn't have a chance to look it up. I thought that was the case, James. I knew that the the cumulative yellows, once you get to the semifinals, they all reset. And the yep. only way you miss the final is with the straight red. Yeah. So therefore, City will know exactly what will happen. Kyle Walker will be able to find a way to miraculously play next week, and he'll get sent off because that's what Kyle Walker does. Um, <laughs> real quick, because we we're gonna spend most of the time previewing the Newcastle match. Uh, you know, there's just too much good stuff to talk about our lads tonight to spend any spend too much time on City. But I do want to get your guys' opinions here. Uh, it sounds like all three of us are in agreement that uh, by Tuesday night at this time, we'll be celebrating our trip to Paris, hopefully for uh, trophy number seven. So who are we playing? Um, City or Madrid? As a, as a preference, I would prefer to play City. And the reason for that is uh, I know we can beat them. Uh, we, we've proven, you know, we, we've had a couple of draws with them in the league this season. We beat them in the cup. And here's the thing, those draws that we had with them, we weren't at full strength. We weren't playing our best. And they still couldn't beat us. Yet on the Sunday, we took it to them and they couldn't handle it. I think it would be the same in the final. And it's a final we've been to before. We've won it before. I mean, I know they were in the final and everything else, but I think just as it comes to the occasion, it's our tournament. That's our competition. We are the English team in that competition in the way that Madrid are the Spanish team in that competition, the way Munich are the German team in that competition, and the way AC Milan are the Italian team in that competition. You know? Um, it's just the way it is and the way it's always going to be. And I would prefer to play. Man City. It's Just crazy. You didn't, it's crazy, Chris. You didn't mention any French team in that competition. Oh wait, that's because oh. there are no French teams that ever get past the quarterfinals of that competition. Well, Mar let's let's give Marseille a shout out. Well, that's true. <laughs> if we're going to talk about the French teams, we might as well talk about the ones with class, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of class, before we move on, uh, I just want to give a shout out to the Villarreal fans. They were phenomenal. Yeah. They Very joined fun. in, and the you'll never walk alone. They they were in and around the city. They were, you know. Um, Taking photos with the John Lennon statues and stuff, and the '97 flag, the '97 flag, they yeah. were brilliant, and uh, and they were an absolute credit to their football club. And uh, Everton, you should be watching, but they yeah, won't because sure it's, they... it's Champions League football. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, right? Yeah, the only way yeah. Everton gets to play in Champions League football is when the fullback for Benfica lines up on the pitch. Um, so, Jamie, we got like a minute on this because I want to put the last 10 minutes over to the Newcastle match uh, coming up on Saturday. So for you, will not who you want to play, who's going to advance Manchester Madrid. city or Madrid, Madrid. I think do you, Madrid are you believe win, Madrid but... will turn it over at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's only one goal. Um, I think at the Bernabeu it's um, different, different altogether. Um, I do think they're going to turn them, turn them over, turn, Turn Modric loose, turn Benzema loose. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think they'll be done. All right, it seems here Sparky Parky saying uh, he thinks City will advance, but earlier on when we were talking about who should play, who should we play, it was Madrid. So it looks like his heart's telling him Madrid and his head is telling him City. Alan Walnuts chimed in with Madrid as well. Um I believe Madrid is going to advance because I believe that it is going to be that much harder for City knowing that we've already advanced. I think that there is some pressure knowing that Liverpool is already in that final. Um, I genuinely think that that will get in their heads a little bit. I hope that it also will deflate them a little bit to the point where they don't have as much to be up for come after that, and they have to play those last few matches. 
Um, we're not going to go into which matches will they drop points because they are going to drop some points. The question is, will we win all of ours? And that starts with a lunchtime kickoff, 7.30 a.m. Eastern, 12.30, uh, you know, English time. In Newcastle, never an easy place to play. Um, even harder when their fans are actually rooting for them, which is amazing. You know, who would have ever thought um, with Steve Bruce and four points from what felt like 455 days of action. Um, you know, Eddie Howe's got them clicking. Eddie Howe's got them to 10th or 9th in the table. I forget exactly where they are, uh, which is an amazing accomplishment for where they came from. So where exactly, um, from a rotation standpoint, Chris, do you feel Jurgen will make some changes uh, for this match to freshen up and make sure that we're ready so early on the weekend? Um, I think it'll be our, our standard back four, as usual. Um, here's the thing. Newcastle are the informed team in the Premier League. Since January, they've got more points than anybody. So, um, you know, they're playing really good football. They've got an absolute gem in Bruno Gimurish. And um, and the, the Jolinton, it, it, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Because it's not right. the same guy they've had for the last three seasons. You know what I mean? Um, so they, they're really common. Um, they have, you know, they've given the bigger teams a bit of a run. Um, but I don't think they have enough to compete with us. And I think the changes that come in are back for, I think, Keira comes in for Thiago. I think, um, I think we might see Oman Milner. Um, I do for, for Hendo. Yep. Um, and I think we'll probably see Jota in for Diaz. And uh, even Manny might even get a rest and, and Bobby might get a run out. So, I, I, yeah, it's good. I don't think we're going to go super strength, but um, it'll be enough to beat Newcastle. Jamie, how about you from a rotation standpoint? Um, maybe anything you might disagree with Chris on specifically, rather than just reading off the names that you agree with him that will be starting. No, not necessarily disagree with Chris too much there. I think um, think he's pretty spot on. Um, Milner would be a good shout. Didn't he used to play for Newcastle? He did, yes. Yeah, he did. <clears throat> So he knows the terrain. Um, he know he knows what he's up against. Um, uh, you know, a one city team. The Geordies are are absolutely all about their football. They're going to be chomping at the bit uh, to to get into us. You know, we're we're the yes. Chris is absolutely right. They are the informed team. Um, right beneath them is us. Um, but they're going to want to test their metal, so to speak, up against. European royalty and um, and look with the money behind Newcastle, I'm sure they've got better days ahead. And and look, I've got a lot of Geordie mates and and Irish lads that support Newcastle as well. So I've been reaching out to them all, uh, asking them for as many favors as I can, and maybe maybe they'll lay down for us and stand up against City. <laughs> but uh, apparently, that's not what they're going for. They're just going to say we're we're just going to beat you both. Just to be yeah. fair. <laughs> well, that's um, the thing. Eddie Howe actually has... So they're feeling has, bullish, you know? Yeah. Well, Eddie Howe has, has history with us, you know? He's had a couple of games with Bournemouth against us that were absolute bangers. So he, he knows yeah. how to play football against us. Um, it's whether or not the, their defense is strong enough to hold out the goals, which usually happens when, when people play us. You know, they think, well, go toe-to-toe. And, you know, they leak a few goals and, and hope they can score on us. But uh, I just don't think, as good as this Newcastle team is, uh, I don't think, I think this is where we, we kind of stop their little run for a bit and bring them sort of back into reality for a while. Right. Let's not kid ourselves here. They were up for relegation, yep. what, you know, not not that long ago. Six weeks ago. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, now they're in the top ten. Yeah, when he took over, they were firmly in the relegation zone and people were saying, could he hold on for to get to January and would they sign him any players? And if they did, would he be able to integrate them? And he went out and bought Premier League-ready players, other than Gamarish, which was the only real star they brought that needed time to bet in. I mean, you get Kieran Trippier, you get Dan Byrne, you get Chris Wood, you yeah. get – I mean, they got Premier League-proven players 
that could come in and do a job day one, and they got a Premier League proven manager who knows how to motivate people. And to the Joe Linton point, you know, the people who saw him at Hoffenheim and knew that he that there was a player in there and that he had skills, um, they were shocked at how much he struggled when he came here because he was a big, strong lad yeah. who could hold the ball up, but he he wasn't a true number nine. And I think Eddie Howe saw that, recognized it, altered his tactics. And, you know, anyone who's been a, a, you know, consistent listener of this podcast knows I came on day one saying I thought Eddie Howe had been out of work for basically every day since he left the Bournemouth job too long. People hired Crystal Palace hired two different managers. Spurs hired three different managers and one of them with and Jose Mourinho, for Christ's sake, thinking that guy was going to make Unmin Sun and Harry Kane better players. And and Eddie Howe sitting here going, what's an Englishman need to do to get a bigger job, right? And I think he's in a perfect spot. And there are people out there that think he might even be relieved of his duties. They would be absolute morons. He's winning with John Joe Shelby and Miguel Almiron and, you know, reject players he jettisoned out of Bournemouth. And he's still able to get a turn out of them. You give him top-level talent, I think he's going to put out a winner at Newcastle eventually. Maybe not win the league, but he's going to compete at the levels of West Ham and Leicester City. And if you're a Newcastle fan, I don't think there's anything more you can ask for. Bournemouth punched above their weight solely because of that man. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and it was just basically the size of that club and just their lack of, of, of money. To, to really invest and make that team stronger that, that hurt Bournemouth uh, and sent them down again. Um, Eddie Howe is a good manager. Eddie Howe has proven that he's a good manager. Okay, he's not, he hasn't been at very many big clubs um, and he had a bit of a failure at Burnley because that was just a, a disaster. Um, but you give him an underdog club and some half-decent players and he can give them belief. Uh, and that's what it's about. It's that belief. He's taken a player like Jolinton that everybody just laughed at. Because that's the thing. We were laughing at Jolinton. He's a striker. What? Steve Bruce has broken that man. Um, this guy, this is the guy that came from Hoffenheim. That's a joke. Eddie Howe has turned that around. That's good man management. That's the sign of a good manager. When you can take a player, a misfit like that, and turn him into one of the best players in your team, uh, that's a sign of a good manager. You know, he's brought in Kieran Trippier, who's a half decent right back, who is a very good free kick taker and has proven it at Newcastle, which has helped because you've got a big striker like Chris Wood and you've got big guys like Jolinton and Lascelles and that for him to put balls into. You know, it, it's, yeah, this is going to be a tough game. This is going to be tougher than people give, I think people are giving credit for. But I just think we just, we're just a bit too quick and a bit too intense. Yeah, I would agree. So um, as we wrap it up here, we got about a minute and a half left. Um, Jamie, prediction. Ah, the tune. You know, I'll take a heart attack one nil, but uh, I think it'll probably be two one. Um, I think they might claw one back late, late, late doors. So two one us. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give to Mitch on a heart attack. This is gonna be a banger. I'm going four three us. Oh, the old school. Oh, yeah, this is... I don't know forget, that I forget ha- Polly Moore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I have a 4-3 uh, in me. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... I would I'm gonna, love it. I, I'm going to stay positive, and I'm going to say we keep the clean sheets going. It's a 2-0 victory, but it's not nearly that comfortable. So I'm sorry, Tamuchin. You'll be sitting on the edge of the couch, and I won't be surprised if we're back here on Monday talking about another ridiculous Divock moment. Um, because let's be honest, this is the type of squad. It's Everton-type teams. It's a Newcastle-type team. These are the type of sides that he comes on, makes a big play late. you know. And I do think he'll be rewarded for the goal against Everton with a few more runouts. Because uh, I could see a little rotation here. I don't think he'll start. Um, at some point, I question whether or not Mo gets a breather from the start just to give a little bit of life into the legs and give him a little bit of a rest mentally as much as physically. And this might be that type of a match. Um, So we'll see. I think it's going to come down to whether or not Bobby is back fit or not. I think if Bobby can play, you can really rest a couple guys. 
If Bobby's not out on the pitch, that's a different story. I think then you need at least two of the three uh, with Mo and Monty both starting. But, gentlemen, um, we're going to wrap it up here. So to all of our listeners, folks who commented, liked our post, shared it, thank you very much. Please continue to follow the content on the website, the articles, the weekly podcast recordings, our match game recaps. We are going to be starting with some different post-match videos as well uh, by different contributors on the site, sharing to our YouTube page. Uh, if you follow to our website, feel free to click on our YouTube links and please subscribe, uh, like, so you get all the great notifications. We'll be back Monday night uh, with myself, Tamuchin, and Bickler as usual to recap another Liverpool victory and hopefully Man City dropping some points. Gentlemen, <laughs> have a great night. Jamie, I'll give you 20 seconds of verse. Sing us out. Oh, okay. I'm so glad that Ula is a red. I'm so <laughs> glad they're staying here instead. Ula said the club, you know, we're never gonna stop, you know. She said so. All right, Reds, let's go.